Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCleskey. Over the past several years, the U.S. bishops have had significant concerns about the rights of Catholic institutions to serve in foster care and adoption. And that concern is driven really by two realities. First, providing care for orphans and other vulnerable children is a fundamental dimension of the Christian religion. You see it in scripture. It's something that's been important for Catholics all throughout our our history and tradition. Uh, But second of all, Catholic adoption and foster care agencies really have come under attack. This isn't something that we just foresee that's coming down the road. It's not something we imagine as a possibility. Uh, It's really happened. Catholic services have been forced to close in some places. Um, But in Philadelphia, Catholic social services uh, decided to push back. And so we're going to talk today about an important case that was recently heard before the Supreme Court. And to talk about this case, we have Nick Reeves from the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Nick serves as legal counsel at Beckett. He focuses on First Amendment and appellate litigation and has argued multiple cases in both federal appellate and district courts. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Aaron and Mary, thanks so much for having me. The case we're talking about is Fulton, the city of Philadelphia. Uh, It was argued before the court on November 4. Uh, the day after the election, there's so much going on in our country right now. Um, so it might have kind of slipped under people's radars. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what this case is about. You know, how did it, how did it, how did this come to be? What, give us the, just the basic background here. This case is about foster parents, um, like lead plaintiff Sharon L. Fulton. These foster parents have been serving children in need across Philadelphia for decades. Um, Sharon L. has been serving for over 25 years, and she's fostered at least 40 children in that time. And women like her have been partnering with Catholic Social Services to do this work, to really, it's really a vocation for her to serve these children. Um, but about two years ago, in March of 2018, the city of Philadelphia learned through a news article um, that, hypothetically speaking, if a same-sex couple were to approach Catholic Charities, which is an arm of the Catholic Church, and seek a foster care certification, which the Catholic Church views as an endorsement of same-sex marriage, it would help that couple to find another nearby agency. Um, And the city did this, even though, like I said, you know, no same-sex couple had approached the agency. And it did this despite 200 years of um, proven service to the community as a foster agency. Um, During litigation, the city actually said, that Catholic Social Services and its families were a point of light um, in the foster care system. So when the city chose to close down Catholic Social Services foster agency, that meant that foster families like Sharon L. Fulton and Tony Sims Bush could no longer foster or care for children in need um, in the city. So basically, for the past two years, their homes have been sitting empty. Sharon L. typically you know, she has a room, she has empty beds in her home and has cared for four or five kids at a time. Um, and the city has admitted that there are over 200 children who could be placed in loving foster homes, but who are instead stuck in institutional care or in group homes and are not being placed with these women. Um, so there are, are real harms coming from the city's actions. And on the flip side, not a single same-sex couple is prevented from fostering or adopting in Philadelphia. 
there are about 30 different private agencies that all provide the same certifications that Catholic Social Services does, and three of which um, are specifically certified for their great service to LGBTQ couples. So there really is no evidence of any harm or any discrimination um, in this case, and that's something the justices talked a lot about during oral argument. Um, but on the flip side, the only people who are being excluded are those plaintiffs, like I mentioned before, who work with this Catholic agency. So I want to ask about foster care. So in the church's viewpoint of foster care, it's it's seen as just as if a fa- it's it's a family environment. In other words, the church is still viewing the foster care environment as a mother and a father and an environment to the best that we can do, society can do, and the church can do is provide the same kind of loving home that a, a child with with parents um, would have. Is that right? That is right. This is a ministry that Catholic Social Services and before it, other religious entities in Philadelphia have been doing since the yellow fever in the 1700s and helping children who've been orphaned or have to be otherwise removed from their home, um, you know, grow up outside of a, you know, a large group facility is not only Catholic teaching, but also is in the best interest of children. Multiple studies have shown that kids placed in loving homes rather than in institutional care do much better. Um, They have much better long-term outcomes than kids who are, you know, stuck in a group home where they get minimal supervision or some sort of institution. Well, I think for probably most of our listeners and most of us who are not attorneys, when it comes to a case like this, we kind of see it as having two possible outcomes. You know, we either say, okay, Catholic Social Services either gets to continue doing the work or it doesn't. Like they either win or they lose. Um, But, you know, it's not, you know, it's not that simple when it comes to these sorts of cases. There's different ways that this could go. You know, Catholic Social Services could could win, so to speak, in, in different ways. I wonder if you could just walk us through some of the possible outcomes and say a little bit about what those outcomes mean. What is Beckett hoping for? What is Beckett arguing for? Are there other religious freedom groups that are arguing for something different? Um, just kind of walk us through that. Sorry, that's a lot. No, that's absolutely right, and that's a good question. Um, You know, the Supreme Court granted three different questions presented, so there are a lot of issues before the court. Um, But I'll I'll try to keep it relatively simple and talk about maybe three different ways we could see the court ruling. Um, And I I think it's likely the court will rule in Catholic Social Services' favor in in one way or another. So I I do think these are the most likely outcomes. Um, You know, one possibility, which would be, I think, a great outcome, is that the court might reconsider a 30-year-old decision called Employment Division versus Smith. And what that, de- uh, what that decision said is that basically the free exercise of religion is really just a non-discrimination principle. Um, you can treat everybody poorly as long as the rule applies to everybody. So you know, there, there's no need to grant an accommodation to protect someone's First Amendment rights if um, you know, you don't apply that exemption to anybody else. So the way this comes up is often for religious minorities, um, equal treatment is actually discrimination against religion. So if, if a Jewish person is forced to work on a Saturday, that's their Sabbath, even though there's a Sunday closing law. Or if a school uniform um, mixes cotton and wool, that would actually be a problem for a Jewish individual who can't wear mixed fabrics like that. 
But Smith says there's no need to grant an accommodation. And the Smith decision specifically says this will hurt religious minorities. So we're hopeful the court will reconsider that decision. And we've seen broad support um, from amicus across the spectrum, from Jewish groups and Muslim groups and other groups saying, yes, this decision, you know, it, it does burden our religious beliefs specifically and, and particularly as religious minorities. Um, so if the court were to reconsider that decision, I think that would be a big win. And, you know, what the court would replace it with is, is certainly up in the air. But one possibility is that actually after the Smith decision, um, the Congress and the president uh, signed into law a new statute. And this was supported by the ACLU and a diverse array of other coalitions that um, basically replaced the constitutional standard with a statute that says the government has to have a compelling reason to burden someone's religious beliefs. And that we think restores what approximates the original meaning of the First Amendment. Um, you know, there'd be no need to say that you have the free exercise of religion if all it meant is, um, you know, you, you can't be discriminated against. There's other constitutional protections that, that do the same thing. So we think the, the First Amendment actually means something positive. It means religion is uniquely protected. Short of reconsidering Smith, I think there are probably two other ways the court could rule. One is that it could clarify what the Smith decision means. Um, you know, the court could say something like, Anytime the government grants a secular exemption, it has to also grant a religious exemption. And that came up in this case because the city of Philadelphia um, allows agencies to refer for other reasons. It says, you know, if someone lives too far away, you can send them to a different foster care agency. Or if they want to serve children with disabilities, you can um, send them to an agency that's specially trained to do that. Um, and, and federal law actually requires Native American children to be placed with Native American families. And so that prevents a whole set of people from fostering those kids. Um, so if the court were to clarify that, uh, that would be a really helpful standard um, as well, because that comes up so often. Um, it's, it's very rare that there, you know, there's not some other kind of exception to the law. Um, the third approach, which didn't get much traction at oral argument, um, is that the city said several things uh, during its interactions with Catholic Social Services that suggested its decision was, was targeted and was not um, a neutral decision, but actually was specifically intended to discriminate against Catholic Social Services' religious beliefs. Um, and we saw a similar decision from the court in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, in which there was a, a baker who was unable to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. And what the court said there is, you know, we're not going to address the merits of your claim, but we don't think the government gave you a fair shake. We think the government discriminated against you. So we're going to ask them to go back and, and retry um, to, to come to a conclusion. And, you know, the problem with that is, as we've seen in the Masterpiece case, um, the, the baker was sued again immediately. Um, so it's, that's not a very lasting protection. Um, so I think those are the, the three different ways the court could rule in this case. To that last point, though, about the not getting a fair shake, um, and, and it kind of, to me, connects with the whole, what you mentioned earlier about the facts of the case, which is that there was never really a complaint about this anyway. It just, it often seems to me, and I'm not in the weeds as much on this as, as you would be, it just often seems to me that that in most of these cases, it they it seems targeted like it seems like like the like some perhaps some law firms even are like are like trying to get 
the religious groups in trouble. They're not coming up. These issues don't seem to bubble up organically. Like it's not like some couple really feels like they're like they've been wronged and and says we need to do something about this. This often happens from because some third hand source. And I just <laughs> I guess it partly. I mean, regardless even of how some cases get handed down it's just so unhealthy for a civil for a political culture to operate that way to be kind of looking to get to get people you know Mm -hmm. i think that's that's exactly right um we actually saw an example of this in another foster care case uh that we have in michigan where at first a same-sex couple did come forwards and say that they reached out to this catholic agency and were turned away but during discovery we learned that the ACLU had posted on a Facebook group soliciting this couple and um, actually worked with them. And only after they talked with the ACLU did they reach out to the Catholic agency. And we also were able to learn through discovery that they had to drive by three or four other agencies closer to their house in order to go to this Catholic agency. And I think that is exactly to your point. Like this, this isn't a real problem um, in, in all 50 states across the country same-sex couples can and do foster and adopt. And there is a foster care crisis in our country where we need more families for children in need. So then why, I know that sometimes the Supreme Court does not take up every case that is presented before it. So in the, I don't know, whatever, um, at whatever level this court, whatever court level this was at before it went to the Supreme Court, why was the case it had, it was seen to have had merit at that level? I mean, is it, is it ever possible for these cases to be um, denied based on, you know, the judge saying this is obviously politically motivated or, I mean, is that, does that ever happen? Mm -hmm. That did happen in Michigan. We actually were able to get the district court to grant um, our client there a preliminary injunction protecting their religious exercise. Um, you know, it's, it's somewhat unclear why that didn't happen in this case. Um, the Third Circuit's ruling really rested on the Smith decision. And they specifically said, if we rule for Catholic social services, we think Smith is, quote, a dead letter. Um, you know, I, I don't think they, they viewed the targeting evidence or they didn't view the exceptions in the same way. Um, but I don't think that's how the Supreme Court's going to view it. And I don't think the record supports, um, you know, their viewing of that. So what does then the city of Philadelphia and, and their lawyers say? I mean, obviously, they're not saying that, that they targeted Catholic social services. So, you know, what is their strongest argument and, and how did Beckett uh, respond? How does Beckett respond to their to that argument? Yeah, their strongest argument that they made at the Supreme Court is actually a new argument that they they didn't raise below. Um, and I think for good reason. It's really the argument they focus on, but um, I think even that argument um, is questionable as their briefing shows. So what they argued is that when the government contracts with somebody, um, the government has this managerial authority and they can require whoever they contract with to do um, whatever they want and Basically, that organization loses its First Amendment rights by partnering with the government. Um, so that's that's their argument at the Supreme Court. Um, tellingly, I think, if you look at their Supreme Court brief, they don't cite a single they don't cite a single free exercise case that supports um, this argument. They cite to equal protection and free speech cases, but those are both very different bodies of law than the free exercise clause. 
Um, so I think even, you know, on its, on its face, it's a bit questionable. Um, but as we talked about an oral argument, and as we explained in our reply brief, there's evidence that, I mean, the, the law shows that even employees retain their First Amendment rights when they're working for the government. So um, a prison guard who works at a prison and has an, an, uh, a religious objection to participating in an execution can recuse themselves from that. And that's even though they're getting a paycheck and are a direct employee of the government. So I don't think there's really any case law to support the argument that simply by partnering with the government to provide a service that you've been providing longer than the government um, allows them to extinguish a private organization's sincere religious beliefs. As I recall, when that issue came up in oral argument, uh, one of the, the claims there was that, as you noted, that that Catholic Social Services uh, has been involved in this long before the government. And so, you know, if the government is expanding the services that it offer, that it offers, it's claiming then it can put these burdens, as you just said, that it can put these bur burdens on its, uh, you know, contractors, as they put it. Um, so I wonder, I mean, that this came up, and I wonder if you want to comment on it. Uh, you know, is there is this a concern that as government takes on more services, starts providing more services, that then these kinds of conflicts will just continue that, and that the government can take over some service that that religious entities have offered? The government takes it over and then starts tries to dictate to those religious entities how they are to offer the service. That absolutely is a concern. Um, and this came up at oral argument as well. There were questions from. Uh, the court to the Philadelphia attorneys and to the ACLU attorney. And the court was asking, well, what if the government were to take over the hospital system and then force Catholic hospitals to perform abortions? Or what if it were to um, take over homeless shelters and um, you know, require homeless shelters to violate their beliefs? Um, so and the city didn't have a good response. They, they seem to admit that their rule, um, that whenever the government is involved, it can uh, basically trample on First Amendment rights um, would have those implications. And I, I think that concerned the court. Um, and, and Lori Wyndham, who argued this case for Beckett, made the, the really good point that it can't be the case that the First Amendment shrinks every time the government expands its services. Um, that's not you know, how the First Amendment was written, and there's nothing to suggest that um, your First Amendment rights depend on the size of, of the government. So I, I don't think the court's going to go down that path. Um, and I think the court's own questioning about hospitals and homeless shelters um, makes me think that they're considering that same issue and they realize that there are some concerns there. So do you want to say a little bit more about, you know, you kind of suggested you, you don't think the court would go this way or you do think maybe you go this way. I mean, how do you, if you were to, if you were to put your prediction in now based on having read the briefs, knowing kind of what generally seems to motivate the different justices how oral argument went. I mean, I, my general sense was in listening to the oral argument that, that um, it's, it seemed like Fulton did pretty well. I mean, even from some of the justices you might have expected to be more hostile, they seemed to be a little bit concerned about what Philadelphia was saying. So I'm, I'm, it seemed to me like there's reason to be pretty hopeful. How, what do you think? Yes, I, I personally am optimistic about the outcome. I think it's, you know, you can't read too much into the tea leaves of, of oral argument. Um, but, but like you said, I think the Supreme Court justices really understood what was at stake here. Um, they understood that Catholic Social Services is 
an important ministry that serves children in need. They, they talked about what is in the best interest of children. And, and I think it's pretty clear that, um, you know, protecting an agency that's done this great work and hasn't prevented anyone from fostering or adopting is in the best interest of children. Um, and they, they asked the city multiple times about the, the record in the case. Is it, you know, is it true that there are 30 private agencies? Is it true that, um, you know, same-sex couples can and do foster across the city and other, you know, with other agencies? So, you know, I am optimistic. I think, um, like you said, you know, Justice Breyer and, and Justice Sotomayor um, seemed skeptical. Even Justice Kagan as well seemed skeptical of the city's hard line. Um, Justice Sotomayor seemed to think there might be some way to find a compromise solution. Um, you know, we think the compromise would be to, to protect Catholic social services and its sincere religious beliefs. But um, I'm, I'm optimistic in the result. I think we'll have to wait and see what the court says specifically. Do you have any expectation about when we could receive the decision of the court? I think it's likely um, going to be April, May, or June of 2021. Um, it, it typically takes the court a few months to write an opinion, and um, if there's a lot of concurrences or dissents or additional opinions, it could take even longer. Well, I wanted to close. This has all been so very helpful. I think our listeners appreciate um, getting this kind of this really great analysis of what's going on um, here, so I appreciate it. Um, I wonder if we could close that with something personal. You know, I, I would imagine that one of the exciting, one of the fun things about working at a for a firm like Beckett is just the sense of mission that comes with it and that you also get to work with just really great clients. It seems to me, you know, all of your clients have great stories, um, people of faith. Um, so I wonder if you could share a little bit about, maybe say a little bit about how your own faith informs your work, maybe share some of your favorite stories of, of um, some of the people you've got to work with there. Certainly. Um, you know, that's absolutely right. Uh, getting to work at, at Beckett and working on these cases, um, you know, I, I felt honored to be able to do that. In this particular case, I've been up to Philadelphia several times to meet with our clients there. And like I was mentioning at the beginning, um, these women who have stood up and said, you know, I, I want to protect the agency that brought my family together and that, that has meant so much to me, are truly inspiring. Um, you know, Sharon L. Fulton is um, a single woman of color who's lived in Philadelphia her entire life and is deeply involved in her church. And, you know, she's told us that she has space in her house and love in her heart right now, but she feels empty. She feels like um, she can't engage in the ministry that has meant so much to her um, over these past 25 years. And, um, you know, I think she's really kind of disappointed by what the city has done. Um, knowing the people at Catholic Social Services, she has great personal relationships with them. And the support of this agency has meant um, so much to her. So it, it's been a real blessing for me to be able to get to know her and the other foster families in this case. You know, I think one of the important things about religious liberty, which is, you know, our, our mission at Beckett, is that it creates space for other people to then be able to go out and do things like what Sharon L. does and, and to exercise their own religious beliefs. Um, so I, I think that's really important today. Nick, that was beautiful. What did you say? Oh, she said space in her home and love in her heart. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. great. That's beautiful. It's mm -hmm. inspiring. Well, Nick, thank you so much uh, for your service um, on behalf of Religious Freedom. It's been really a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Uh, so thanks for coming and joining us today. Anytime. Thanks for having me.
Yeah, Nick Reeves from the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, right? Yes. Yeah. And maybe I'll just say you can put a quick plug in for the website free to foster. Is it .com or .org? Mm -hmm. Free to foster .com. Um, you can learn about uh, learn more of these stories that Nick has been talking about. Uh, it's a great resource. We found it. I found it to be a helpful resource. Um, so thank you so much. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCluskey. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the First Freedom Podcast. Thank you.